Welcome to another Odyssey House Journals. I'm Trip Mitchell. That is Randall Carlisle, and we have not done a show for three months. Because of the pandemic. It is nice to see you in person. We're not quite six feet away. I guess we're not social distancing here for this podcast. Well, we, uh, we've we all been checked. I, uh, when you walked in here, we had a secret temperature check. Right. And, I've and, actually and our had... guest has been checked, and, and Lee behind the camera has been checked, so we think we're all safe. We are, um, we are good, and before we introduce you to our guest, who's got an amazing story, and I'm a s- small part of it, and I'm very proud of that, I uh, want to talk about how people in recovery are doing during this time of no meetings and Zoom meetings, and the stuff I've gotten is people really are having some challenges. Well, internally, uh, the people in our residential programs, initially, we had a lot of people walking out. Okay, because they said, screw it, everybody's going to die anyway, so why should I work on my recovery? But as things have have sort of calmed down, uh, we have nobody leaving because people, and and I checked with the people running our our residential places, uh, the the general feeling is, and I guess it makes sense, is because we're really careful about making sure no people with COVID-19 get into our residential structures, and so the people who are in there realize that the job market is horrible right now. Uh, the economy sucks. Uh, it's, it's somewhat dangerous to go anywhere in public. And they're in a facility where they don't need to have a job except working on themselves. They get three meals a day. They have a, a, a safe place to sleep. And they know that everybody there are, that they are around does not have the coronavirus. And so people are pretty comfortable and, and semi-happy, as happy as you can be in treatment, and uh, in, in, in the surroundings. So my, my biggest concern is that when this whole thing is over, if it ever does end, is there's going to be a lot of people who have isolated in their homes or their apartments or on the streets or wherever and have used a lot more drugs and certainly have consumed a lot more alcohol because... Uh, If you think of the state of Utah, uh, the bars and restaurants were shut down for several months and they have to buy their booze from the DABC. And so that was totally cut off. Yet year to year figures for the DABC, they're up like 25%. So that means people at home are buying a lot more alcohol to make up for the difference between bars and restaurants. And still be up. And still be up. Wow. Wow. And so I think, I think there are going to be a, a lot of people who maybe are thinking about treatment or thinking about recovery or sobriety when this thing ends. So, wow. and, that, and that's a big concern. And I've read both uh, scientific and recovery data from people all over the country that they're all concerned that there's going to be a significant problem caused because the one thing, you, you being a recovering alcoholic and me as well, the one thing that people tell us not to do is to isolate. And what has been the message through this whole pandemic is isolate. to isolate. Uh, you know, so we, we worry about that. As well we should. Well, let's get to our guest who has an amazing story. And I want to point out that usually I bring in the guests, but this one you suggested because you ran into the person, so... I'm dying to hear the story. Well, Randall Hooper, come on in and join us. We're going to do the elbow thing because we're still... 
There you go, Randall. <laughs> so two Randall's Great name, on, of course. <laughs> two yes. Randall's on the story. I met Randall back in just before Christmas, and to make some extra money this winter, I drove for a buddy of mine, Amir, at Ted's Transportation, and my job was to take people up to Deer Valley and Snowbird and Alta, and I met some amazing people. And my boss called me and said, there's a young man coming in from California. He arrives at 7.15, and you need to take him to rehab. Simple. But alas, it was not simple. We went through lost luggage, trying to find luggage. It was, there's a word called S-show, and that's what it was. Yeah. And I think that, and I empathize with you so much. I know that going checking into rehab is one of the toughest moments of your life. And so people in recovery say, God puts you in positions, but I think I was the perfect guy for you. Because from 7.15, I left the rehab facility at 12.15. I got you there just before midnight. But it was a long night. and so Very long. Five hours to get from where to where? The airport to Draper. <laughs> <laughs> and there weren't traffic jams, right? There, no. Was, no. no. <laughs> there was a Randall jam. It was a Randall jam. And Classic alcoholic scenario, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to the show. And Thank it you. looks like you're doing great. I'm doing really great. I've been enjoying recovery. I'm not enjoying not having like in-person meetings anymore because I mean, I'm five months sober right now, coming up hey. on six. Very yeah. good. But I can't get any chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you're you were gonna leave here with a chip. Oh, you are. Wow, I did not realize. I'm gonna that. go over to the central office and. Mel is over there, and I'll pick up a chip for you. Yeah. Well, I have three months right now. Luckily, okay. I got that one, but I'm waiting to get that six months officially. Okay. And uh, we should we should point out the AA central office is across the street from this studio, so it makes it convenient. It, it does. And Randall, when we moved in here, my buddy and I, being a recording studio, you go in the kitchen, and there's bottles of booze everywhere. And I, I said to myself, this might not be the right environment. And then I went out to get my car and realized the Alcoholics Anonymous central office is literally right across the street. <laughs> yeah, when I first walked in, it wasn't exactly what I pictured because, I mean, I first walk in and there's a blue moon sign over there. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, what are we selling now? <laughs> well, we're selling recovery because, and you know what we love about this show is that we have been able to, provide good information for a lot. I, I'm not going to pat us on the back and say we've helped people get in recovery, though I think we probably have. But getting that good information, and we've profiled some people who have come out from horrible situations and come out and their lives are amazing now. And I predict you're going to be another one of our wins. So how scared were you the day that you checked into rehab? Well, I was a little less scared because I was uh, very, very drunk. Uh, and... I also had a bunch of pills in me, so I was feeling a little calm, but I will admit, as soon as a trip left and all the paperwork was done, they showed me to my bedroom. That's when the panic set in, and... Oh my God, what have I done? Yeah, basically, I was just yelling, like, what have I done, what have I done, what have I done? I'm lucky I didn't have a roommate, but I was just, like, pacing back and forth, just trying to figure out what to do. The pills and the alcohol did not help. They thankfully did not send me to detox, detox as well because when I first landed on the plane, I got a text from the uh, guy who was bringing me in and it says, don't drink, 
or take anything before you come in. Otherwise, we might have to send you to detox. And then I go, uh, I drank on the plane. I have no reason to lie to him right now. I don't want to go to detox. I don't know what that's like. So I was like, oh, better not. Wow. Yeah, and it was funny because Randall enabled something on his phone so the gentleman from Corner Canyon knew exactly where we were. Ah, I shared my location. What? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so, and your mother was so sweet. She, because I was, after 7.15 you landed, and then I didn't get you in the truck until after 9. And I called and said, I can't find him. And she goes, she was, she just really kind of said, you will be doing me a huge favor if you find him and get him to rehab. (laughs) Which is a weirder delivery than, I mean, I literally, it could be a movie. (laughs) But it actually this, could be. I mean, a semi comedy. Yeah. You know, searching for this drunk guy <laughs> who's high, who had just flown into town to go to rehab. Well, you obviously you should have known where to find the alcoholic. <laughs> in the bar at the I was at the bar. <laughs> they had a high west whiskey in there. I was like, my favorite whiskey. Might as well toast <laughs> to my last little bit. Well, I couldn't get through security to get to the bar. That was that, that without was a, a ticket. Problem. Yeah. Today's show is being brought to you by High West Whiskey. (laughs) So, oh my goodness! Yeah, so we we had these shenanigans, but I I empathized. The first time I went to AA, I sat out in the parking lot and was at a bar in Las Vegas, naturally, and it took so much to get me to go in. And the same thing happened where I'd been out for a couple years and went back into a meeting. It it takes a lot to walk through those doors, and it's totally voluntary. In rehab, once you walk through those doors, you you know you're there. Yeah. Well, you could you could walk out. Oh, you can. Know, but yeah, but I wasn't willing to do that. Uh, I've been kind of raised with this attitude from rowing uh, collegiately, like not to walk out on anything, even though when times get tough, just keep on leaning to that discomfort and so I guess that's something that helped me while I was spending time at Corner Canyon my treatment facility uh it was definitely not always easy I had triggers panic attacks just going into the gas station just looking at all the beer I was like I could sneak a beer real quick oh god you didn't I didn't luckily yeah it um so in your situation, what was the hardest part for you in rehab? Uh, in rehab, well, rehab is actually, I would say, probably the easier part. I mean, it was difficult to admit, like, okay, I'm powerless to alcohol. Um, I was a sex addict. I'm a pell head. Like, there's a lot of more problems, but I felt like the problem more so was outside before treatment, like, Cause I wasn't ready to admit I was an alcoholic prior to coming in. Like before treatment, I knew I I was having mental illness and needed to go to a facility. And I knew I had a problem with my pills, amphetamines, Adderall and that. Uh, And your problem wasn't that you were running out. (laughs) Oh, it was very much that. It wasn't so much running out because of the dark web. Oh, okay. Also sponsored by the dark web, I guess. Yes, okay. <laughs> but it's it's hard to say I'm an alcoholic, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think it was at the Hillcrest meeting here in Salt Lake in Holiday, or no, not in Holiday, just here in Salt Lake. I 
that was the first time I stood up and took my 24-hour trip. And luckily, that's uh, the meeting where I met my sponsor as well. But I wasn't, I didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. <laughs> you but, mentioned that to me as we were driving yep. out to rehab. He's drunk, but I, I don't have a problem with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, 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 if I remember right, I, I didn't say anything. You know, I go. No, you didn't. I just listened and, 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 you know, my guess would maybe there were some alcoholic issues since you were drunk, but, you know, far bit for me and leave it to the experts. But the, Going into to treatment, you were in for four months. Yeah. Were there any milestones in there where you felt like at 30 days or 60 days, did you feel like you'd hit something or it was just a... The emotional sobriety, I would say. that That's definitely been something. Like, I was a person who never cried before treatment. And then, like, a month in, I was just crying over everything. I saw a commercial and I started crying. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I just keep having therapy sessions with my therapist and everything I'm yelling at him, this is weird, this is weird. And he just keeps telling me, well, this is what it's like to start being normal. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm going to keep going with that. (laughs) That's a good attitude. Everything that has been weird, that's what I know I have to keep leaning into because I'm like, all right, if it's normal, that's my old pathways. If it feels weird... Hey, maybe we're hitting something right. Yeah, and that's the old saying, you know, if you think it's a good idea, do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> Most of us, it works that way. By and large, did you develop friendships with the other people in recovery? Did they yeah. become part of your posse, as it were? Yeah, no, I still see the people, and I have intensive outpatient with them. Uh, even my current job, I got through one of my friends uh, from treatment. And so now we get to keep each other in check in that, which has been great because uh, he's a chronic relapser and our boss above him it has four years sober. So he has uh, basically his number one policy is show up on time and be sober. That's and, and the camaraderie, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what treatment center, <laughs> it, there's, there's a heavy camaraderie. Uh, from pe- as people leave it and go into intensive outpatient or whatever, or into transitional sober living, because you've been through. I mean, like here's a guy who, like, he, like you talked about the crying. I mean, you're you're bearing your soul to everybody else in the facility, and that sort of uh, connects you to to the other people there because you've all you're all bearing your soul. Yeah, and it's interesting because I've got a, I think is a good idea. So it probably isn't, but here's my idea. What would be interesting to do is to find kind of a list of businesses that people are really sympathetic to people in treatment and might be a transitional job when you get out. And having that on our website might be something that's interesting. And maybe you have it already with Odyssey House. Well, we have, I mean, we try to connect people with jobs before they get out. Yeah. And there are a ton of, there are a ton of businesses who do hire our people getting out. And, and a lot of them, like you, you mentioned, like your supervisor or whatever is, is in recovery. Yeah. And, and what, businesses where you have supervisors or owners who are in recovery are a lot more sympathetic as opposed to somebody who doesn't understand oh. it and says, this drunk guy, he's not going to show up for work <laughs> on time. You know, and, and, and that's not fair uh, for somebody getting out of treatment who's, who's trying to do their best. Sure. You, know? you need all the help. We'll be back. We're going to hear more of Randall's story. You're watching Odyssey House Journals.
Randall Carlisle, Trip Mitchell. Randall Hooper is our guest, and yes, guest talking about just getting out of rehab. But before we get to another question, can you mention a phone number that we love to give out on oh, the show? I almost, almost forgot because we haven't had to say it for three months. 801-322-3222. And that's the number of Odyssey House. And Odyssey House is an amazing place that Randall has worked for for a couple of years. And yep. your statement, we say it at every show, you haven't worked a day in your life no, since I, you've been there. No, it's the best job I ever had. It doesn't pay the best. It <laughs> doesn't compare to like being a TV anchor, but it. But it, I go home and I sleep well at night because it's because uh, I feel good. Yeah, you know? and if you've got questions, if you've got a loved one who has any issues, a neighbor, even yourself, calling Odyssey House, they're will provide you with information, and we're not in any way recommending Odyssey House above someplace else or AA or Corner Canyon. Yeah, but Corner Canyon's a great, great thing. It, it, there's not a. It's really strange because there's so many treatment facilities in the Salt Lake Valley in Utah, and and it's not like we're all in competition and we say, oh, Corner Canyon sucks, but Odyssey's great, or Cirque is is bad, or th- that kind of stuff. Because there's 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 a treatment facility that will work for every single person, and Odyssey may not be right, Corner Canyon may not be right, but you've got to look around. But if you want information on getting treatment, that's a good number to call. And we'll get you they'll get you information. And in, in my case, the sobriety came through AA. Right. And you know, find a meeting, and and uh, if you stop drinking for a day, that's the most important day in your life, or stop drugging, and and. Uh, so, Randall, we were visiting with you earlier and talking about the process inside. You had a therapist that you met with how often a week? Um, twice a week. Twice a week. Was that really impactful and powerful for you? Uh, yeah, but I found it to be more also the group therapy that like these treatment facilities offer. That is such a crucial piece because like you need to get other people's feedback and you also need to figure out like how else you can manage this stuff because while this can be a selfish program, you also have to service others or serve others. Right. No, I, I think groups are, you know, like, like Randall said, he, he, he talked to his therapist about why he's crying so much. Okay. <laughs> but, but I really think, and, and you need an expert to explain that to you, but, but I'm sure you shared in groups the same feelings, you know, and, yeah. and and to have a group of people, I don't know how large your groups were. What, um, they ranged from about five to 14 at times. Yeah, and, and, and to have a whole group of people like that sharing some big strong guy saying, I cried because I watched a TV commercial. I mean, that does spark discussion in a group. But it, <laughs> it will get someone's yes, attention. It will. And, but other people are sharing the same kinds of things and feelings. And I, I think those are probably more valuable than the therapist. I don't know. In you your need ca- both. In your case, Randall, you pop into group at Odyssey House yeah. all the time. Yeah. Do you still pick something with a lot of sobriety under your, your belt? Do you still pick something up at every time you pop oh, into group? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, I haven't been able... We Our houses have been closed. I mean, not closed to clients, but closed to outsiders, and I'm considered an outsider. Uh, people can't even get visits from, from their relatives. They do it all on Zoom. Uh, and, it, and it's just to keep our facilities free of COVID. So I haven't been in, in I haven't been in a facility for a while. I, I work in the administration building. So, but it, but it, I, I pick up something every 
every time I listen to a group, and it, and it reminds me of, uh, even though I'm going on eight years sober in, in a couple of months, it reminds me of the thought processes that were going through my brain before I got sober. Because we, I think there are some general things that we all think about. You know, I'm, I don't have a problem. I can control this. Uh, it's, it's their fault, not mine. Uh, my boss was unfair with me. Uh, the whole world's unfair to me. And it's, you know, everybody, and you hear that from everybody, and it's a good reminder as to how I used to think and how sobriety put you on the right track to seeing the world the way I think it, the way I think it really is. It's, you know, it's my responsibility to do things and it's not your fault for looking at me crooked and <laughs> therefore I'm going to go out and get drunk because it, this was a terrible show. I'm going to get drunk, <laughs> you know. And it's funny how alcoholics look for excuses. Oh, God. And I, I still have those triggers. Yeah. If I'm fighting with my wife, the first thing I do is leave the house and come down here. And I go, I could get away with drinking. You know, it's my first thought, and then I banish it. And But still, with some decent sobriety, that that comes to your mind. So the good news is, is that so many people have put together strings of one day at a time to get out a long way. Lee, our, our producer, 44 years. Yeah. I mean, those are the type of success stories. But what is scary is when you go to a meeting and... First of all, meetings are very, if you're a newcomer, they will welcome you. They want newcomers. This is right. how, there's an expression, we have to give it away to keep it in order to keep it in a, so they're going to be very, very helpful. But when you listen to someone who's had 15, 20 years sober, and they go back out, which is our term for starting to drink again, that's the scary one. And, and that's, I, to me, that's a real lesson. That, that always, I, not that I'd like to hear that, but it's like, oh, wait a minute. I, I don't have anything cured, and I'm certainly not, you know, guaranteed of staying sober the rest of my life, you know, because this person did it after 22 years. Leave 44 years under his belt. It doesn't mean he can't relapse. You still have to be diligent. Sure. Yeah. What are some of the triggers that you've identified, if it's not too personal, that, um, that cause you to drink? Let's see. Just and we have seeing, 10 minutes left in the show, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, we have a list. Uh, yeah. Seeing alcohol still gets me triggered. I mean, going to the gas station, the 7-Eleven, just like grabbing an energy drink and, oh, hey, right next to it. <laughs> oh, all this nice, delicious beer. Hmm. <laughs> but I've been able to, like, I take it moment at a time. I pray in the morning. Uh, even other triggers, like... Uh, I would say fighting with friends, fighting with my girlfriend, um, just like certain things can cause me to go there. But my sponsor taught me something and he had me join this club called the no matter what club. Okay. So you just drink no matter, or you don't drink no matter what. It's a good club so, to be in. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about your sponsor. Um, he's been an amazing influence on my recovery. Uh, I met him when I was getting my two months sober and basically he was getting his 15 years sober back wow. in February. Uh, he's just been incredible. He's taught me so many different things and I try to talk to him at least once a day, every day. Lately, I've been a little bad about that because I'm now working a full-time job six days a week, but uh, he's always there whenever I need to call him and talk. He came to treatment to work the steps with me, 
and we got through the fourth and fifth steps together. I'm not looking forward to finishing the A step by the end of the week because don't want to find out how much money I owe. <laughs> um, he's just, it's funny because he's also a Southern California boy like me, just rival school. Okay. I was a UCLA Bruins fan. He, of course, is a USC Trojans <laughs> fan. At what age did your problems start? And, and how old are you now? Um, I'm 23 now, but I would say um, I wanted... So I would say about 11 years old, I wanted to commit suicide um, since that age because there was a lot of issues in my home. Uh, and then at 15... I had my first uh, real sip of alcohol, and of course my friend put it back in the freezer. We went back to bed, and of course, me, I went down there and chugged the rest and came back up and blackout talked to him, and he tells me this in the morning. I'm like, I didn't do that. There's no way I did that. So you that. blacked out your first time you drank? Yep. Wow. And I mean, I, it's been scarier even since then because I have epilepsy as well. So the only two things that they tell you when you have epilepsy is don't drink and get your sleep. And so my pill combination was keeping me up for days straight. And then the drinking to try to get myself to sleep was not helping. Jeez. Wow. That's a heck of a story. We unfortunately have run out of time, but we will have you back because I think for our Wait. viewers... Are you going to be in Utah for a while? Uh, for a bit, yeah. I'll be back at college in August. Really? Yes, sir. What year? Uh, senior year. I mean, this was my senior year, but I had to cancel. Because this may have been this. more valuable than your college senior year. I definitely agree. <laughs> Luckily, COVID hit. <laughs> so your story is interesting. And, and I first of all, I'm so happy that this turned out. Because when I left, I was really nervous about you. Um, sounds like some amazing miracles happen in treatment, but more importantly, finding a sponsor that just works for you. Think, think about karma, that he's coming for treatment and he's all screwed up when he gets off the plane and he has a, a person in recovery to pick him up and drive him to, I mean, what are the odds that that would happen? God works in mysterious ways. It, it did in this case. And, you know, and again, your mother getting on the phone with me as I was going to just say, you know, I've been Find out him. Yeah, I've been out here an hour and a half, you know. So, but I am so happy for you. I'll give you the elbow bump. Thank you. So good to see you. Congratulations. You. Want to thank Lee, our producer. We have had a lot of fun doing this. We were back in with new shows coming out. And uh, Randall, I'm so glad that uh, you've done well. And I wish everyone... I'm in that age group that's dangerous, so... <laughs> I, you know. We... we uh, we know that meetings are going to be opening up. Practice safe meetings. Do wear masks for other people in the meeting. Best thing you can do. Sure. And we're concerned for everyone, but we also know that uh, going to meetings, going to recovery, being in recovery is the best thing in the world. For our entire team, I'm Trip Mitchell. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching.